<laughs> Go ahead and open your Bibles over to the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, if you will. We're thankful to be back with you tonight. I had, I heard somebody say they had a rough day. I did too. Uh, ate breakfast, and laid around, and ate lunch, laid around. And ate supper. <laughs> so, tried to go out and spend some money. And uh, I'm getting old enough now where there's a lot more things I can live without, I guess. I go look and uh, go to the, look at the new bows and the new guns. And I, I'm figuring out I can live without all those things. But I did buy me a new knife. I needed that like a hole in the head. I got a gun safe full of them. My, so my wife will certainly appreciate that, I'm sure. We do pray the Lord to bless our services. We've had a wonderful time and thankful to be back with you tonight. Now, the good thing about not being here before, uh, you, uh, you, you all haven't heard all my old stories. Clint has. He has to listen to them again. Tom Ross tells me, uh, he said, you're the lionest, baddest preacher I've ever seen. Every story I'm going to tell you, let me tell you a true story that happened. Now, you got to understand where I was raised. And some of you have been down in southern West Virginia in the coal field. That's where I was raised, on top of a mountain. And uh, we had chickens running loose. We didn't pin up our chickens. Uh, chickens, turkeys, guineas. Uh, guineas make the best watchdogs you've ever seen in your life. Uh, but Daddy had a... Uh, we call them Dama rooster, no Dama after rooster. You've seen those spotted roosters. Big, they had to weigh about 30 pounds. And the thing had to be demon-possessed because it was mean. You walk outside, you could hear it coming. You know, you had to defend yourself. And I actually knocked it out one time. And uh, Daddy threatened me and my nephew, Tony. Tony is a few years younger than me. Uh, and uh, But we always played together and... Daddy threatened us, if you hurt my rooster, you know, I'm going to whip you boys. I, I mean, I knocked it out. It was laying there flopping. I thought I killed it. Uh, but one day, me and Tony was out down where Daddy had his old dogs tied up, some of them. And that thing come at us. And Tony timed it perfectly. He grabbed, I don't remember if it was a two before what it was laying there, but he took a baseball swing and poof, knocked it out of the air. Killed it dead on a hammer. And uh, Tony started crying because he said Pawpaw's going to whoop him. And I said, Tony, you go on home. I said, I'll, I'll tell Daddy about it. So I picked a rooster up and threw it over behind where the dogs were tied up. And then I got scared to tell Daddy about it. So I went to school, come home the next day, and Daddy said, hey. I said, what, Daddy? He said, go down there and bury that old dog. I said, what dog? He said, that thing killed my rooster yesterday. <laughs> so he shot the dog. Now, that's one story. That's a true story. My daddy went to his grave. I never told him the truth of that story. <laughs> so <laughs> so when, I, when I see him in glory, I, I'm probably going to answer for that one. I don't know. <laughs> that's what you get for raising the mountains of West Virginia. All right, Mark chapter 5, no foolishness. Uh, I will have to tell them about blowing the barn up tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another true story. Mark chapter number five is going to be my text tonight. Now, my, my text is going to run uh, for about 20 verses. Don't panic again. I'm not going to read all those to you. Uh, I'm really going to more or less 
uh, kind of read you the end of the matter to start out with, and then we'll go back and, uh, and kind of narrate our way through this somewhat. But this, Mark chapter 5, of course, is a very familiar passage of Scripture. What I'm going to be talking about is just one of, uh, of the many miracles that were performed by our blessed Savior while he was on this earth. Now, you understand that there, there, have, there were many, many times uh, during the earthly ministry of our Savior that he would literally and radically change somebody's life. Uh, it, sometimes it'd be by touch, other times it's by speaking the words, but, but lives will be transformed. Uh, now, nowhere is that more evident, I suppose, uh, than in this man from Gadara that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight. Uh, but in fact, in this chapter alone, uh, he transforms the life of one that is doomed, uh, of one that is diseased, and also one that is even dead. But lives are transformed. Listen, that ain't no problem for my Savior. And I'm here to tell you, folks, uh, he can still do and does do uh, the same thing today in our lives. He he can transform. I don't know the better word. That's not the right word. Uh, But he can literally and radically change your life. Uh, I thought about this. Every one of us that are saved has a testimony, should have a testimony. We have a story to tell. You may not know all the chapter and verses, but you can tell people what Jesus has done for you. Now some of us, before the Lord saved us, may have been, by the world's standards at least, Uh, may have been considered pretty good people by the standards of this world. Uh, Some of us may have been, let's just say, a little more mischievous than others. Some of us was downright rotten. Some of us were downright wicked. But understand this, folks. Lost is still lost. It matters not... What degree you display your lostness, lost is still lost. Whether it be an eight-year-old girl that is saved in Sunday school class or a bar-hopping adulterer that's been radically transformed, uh, lost is still lost. It took the same Savior to save them both. Both of them were dead in trespasses and sins. And both of them needed a Savior. Both of them are, are trophies of God's grace. Somebody said that before Jesus came, all of us were dead. Some of us just sunk a little more than others, you know. But lost is still lost. We're all naturally dead in trespasses and sins. It matters not what degree we may display that in our lives. We're all dead in trespasses and sins, and all of us naturally need a Savior, you see. Now, uh, let me read my text. I, as I said, I'm going to read the end of the matter, and then we'll, we'll come back and fill in the gaps. But the Bible says in verse 15, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, 
and had the legion, and, and I love this, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and the Bible says they were afraid. Now, Mark chapter 5 has been called by uh, many uh, the Bible home of the incurables. And they call it that because if you know this chapter, there are three different cases in this chapter that as far as we are concerned, uh, as far as man is concerned, listen, they're absolutely helpless and they're hopeless. I mean, they have no hope whatsoever, you see. We have, of course, the demon-possessed man, and then we have the diseased woman later on, and then after that we have the dead girl. Now, all three of those cases, you understand, as far as man is concerned, folks, all three of those cases are absolutely hopeless as far as we are concerned. I mean, if the demon-possessed man were with us today, you know, the way that he, he acted, the way he behaved himself, well, he'd be stuck in some type of asylum, no doubt. If the diseased woman was with us today, she'd be stuck in a terminal care, or maybe an extended care unit or something like that. If the dead girl was with us today, well, she'd be taken to the graveyard where she belonged. You understand, all three of these cases, as far as man is concerned, they are absolutely hopeless and absolutely helpless. Now, let me tell you what I thought about. Folks, we run into people all the time in this world that are in the same condition. We run into people in this world all the time that have no hope whatsoever. They're absolutely hopeless and they're absolutely helpless as far as man is concerned. I, the good news I got for you, that is the perfect time for God to work. Listen, the good news is, when it comes to my Savior, there is nobody that is too far gone. There is nobody that, that is too lost. There is nobody that is out of his reach, right? When it comes to my Savior, that's the hope that I have. Now, uh, later on, I, lo I love this fifth chapter, but later on, this woman, the Bible says she had an issue of blood. Uh, I, I don't need to go into what all that means, but she bled for 12 years. And, and, and she was so bad. In fact, the Bible says she suffered at the hands of many things with many physicians. In other words, she went to the doctor, she went to the doctor, and not only did it not help her, she got worse and she got worse. Now, they did manage to take all of her money. <laughs> Haven't changed a whole lot since that time. Uh, they did manage to take her money. Said so she spent all that she had. And not only did she not get better, she got worse. But she had heard that, she had heard about Jesus coming by. She had heard that he was coming. And she had a thought. She said, man, if I could just but touch his clothes, I know that he could make me whole. If I could just touch him, I know that he would heal me of my plague. Well, she did that. And the Bible says that when he felt that, he, he turned around and there was this woman at his feet. And, and he said, woman, uh, go and be, behold, thy, thy faith has made thee whole. Behold thy plague. You see. There was no problem to my Savior. Amen. 
Later on, he gets to Jairus' house. And before they get there, uh, someone runs out to Jairus and says, You listen, you're too late. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the master anymore. You're, you're too late. You know the account of Jerry showing up to get him and then and the crowds that begin to throng them and, and held them up. And when they get there, only to have servants come out and say, listen, you're too late. And I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, don't worry about it. He didn't say it that way. But that, that's in essence what he said. He said, be not afraid, only believe. He goes into the house and there's all those professional mourners that's there. And funerals in the, in, in the Middle East are quite different in many ways than what we have today. They not only have a family member and the friends there in mourning, they hire mourners to come in and can wail. They would wail. If you've seen it on, they still do it today. If you've seen it on the news. They have professional mourners. And he comes in and they're cutting the shine. And they, he says, why, why are you making this a do? Why are you carrying on this way? The damsel's not dead. She's only asleep. And he takes about a hand. He says unto her, damsel, wife, I say unto thee, arise. Get up. And you know what? She got up. And the Bible says they were astonished with great astonishment. You better believe it. Now, both of those cases, as far as we are concerned, was absolutely hopeless. Right? Absolutely helpless. But listen, ain't nothing too hard for my Savior. Well, but today I, I want to take you to the cemetery. And, and I want to show you again that Jesus can do something that nobody else can do. Now, I, I know we don't like cemeteries. But a lot of people don't like cemeteries. Don't even be like, like being around cemeteries. Uh, when, I, when I was a boy... Uh, I would walk out the ridge uh, to play with Andy Cole and Jimmy Christian. Jimmy Christian was my first cousin. They were, they were the closest fellows around that I could go play with. It was two or three miles out this ridge. Now, see, in southern West Virginia, you either lived on the ridge or you lived in the hollow. There wasn't there too much in between. Uh, you lived on the mountaintop or you lived down the hollow. I lived on the mountaintop. You know, now mountaintop folks didn't have a lot to do with holler folks. Uh, not because we didn't like it, it was just too hard to climb back up that mountain to get back home. Uh, I married a girl from the holler. Went too far for that, you understand. But I'd, I'd walk out the ridge to Jimmy and Andy's, and my mommy, when, when I was a kid, you, you, you was home from school in the summertime. Uh, if you stayed around, you got put to work. So we made ourselves scarce as often as we could. And my mommy would tell me, well, you be home before dark. Parents wouldn't dream of doing that today, would they? You be home before dark. Well, I had every intention because when I walked out that ridge, I had to pass uh, Collins Cemetery. I don't think I've related to any of them, but you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting the columns on that ridge. There's a bunch of us. Uh, I had to walk past that big cemetery and it didn't bother me too much in the daytime. But being a kid, I'd stay longer than I should have. 
And I had to walk back past that cemetery going home. Usually the trip home was a little quicker than the trip out. But I remember one night, I, I was a young, probably teenage boy, I don't know, walking back, and it was dark, and I was talking to myself. I said, look, you're too big of a boy to be afraid of a graveyard. Now, I don't care who you are in the dark, and you're by yourself, and you walk past the graveyard. Your imagination gets carried away, but don't sit there and grin at me like you don't want to do that. I, 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 but I talked to myself, and I, I said, you're too big of a boy to be afraid of a graveyard. Well, one night, I, I, I had myself convinced that I was determined to walk past that graveyard. And I got about halfway past it, and there was an old hound dog in the graveyard, and he decided he wanted to get my attention. You ever heard that old hound dog whine they let out? Well, he got my attention. And my feet didn't touch the ground the rest of the way off. You know, we don't like graveyards. One time some water's out, uh, he was coming home, and he decided to take a shit, shortcut through the graveyard. He didn't know they dug into the grave that day. And it was dark, and he fumbled around and fell in that grave. Well, here he was. He struggled and struggled, tried to get out of that grave, and he realized he wasn't going to get out. So he decided to sit down and wait till daylight when he come and he found him. And, and so he was sitting there, and a couple years later, a couple hours later, there was this farmer out coon hunting, and he came through that graveyard also and fell in the same grave. And here he was struggling, trying to get out of that grave, and he, he wouldn't have no luck. And he felt a hand grab his shoulder and said, the voice said, you're not going to get out of this grave. And guess what he did? <laughs> he got out of the grave. We don't like graveyards too much. But I want to take you to the graveyard. I'm, going to, I'm just going to kind of narrate my way through this passage. I want to show you, folks, that this graveyard, the Lord does something that nobody else can do. Listen, he helps that which is helpless. Now, if you've got loved ones that you think are beyond hope, let me tell you, ain't no such thing when it comes to my Savior. You see, this is one of the real incurables of the Bible. This man lived in total devastation and isolation. The, the only companions he had was the dead bodies around him and the demons that were within him. And when Jesus got through with him, the Bible says he was sitting and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. You see, he broke his chains and he set him free. Let me tell you something, folks. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, the Bible says you'll be free indeed. Isn't that glorious? Now, I entitled my little talk tonight, uh, The Maniac, uh, The Miracle, and The Mission. I'm just going to narrate my way through. Notice first, The Maniac. Listen to verses 1 through 5 and, and try to picture this in your mind if you can. The Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, uh, unto the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, listen, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, I would imagine that most of our backgrounds... We would have a hard time imagining a person living the way this man lived, you know. I got to tell you, 
some people live their lives today. And I cannot imagine why somebody wants to live the way that they do. You see. Now notice three things about this man. Notice first his problem. The Bible says in verse 2, tells us he had an unclean spirit. In other words, he was a man that was totally in the grasp and control of the devil. I got to tell you, some things I've seen leads me to believe it's far more common today than we would even like to think. Demon possession, you mark it down. Watch it in the scriptures. Every time the Lord gets ready to do something great and glorious, demon activity and demon possession is on the rise. You don't believe me? The Bible says before God brought his worldwide catastrophic flood that every imagination and thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Demon activity was on the right. 2,000 years later, when our Savior walked this earth, when he was ready to lay down his life, a ransom for his people, listen, when he's getting ready to do that great and glorious thing, demon activity, demon possession was on the rise. You know what? I think he's getting ready to do something great also right now. Very soon I'm convinced he's coming back for us. So folks, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. It should not surprise us that demon possession, demon activity is on the rise. How else can we explain? Not, it's just not your run-of-mill depravity that we're seeing today. It is perversion in every way you can imagine it. Now this old boy's problem was compounded. He was not just possessed by one demon. He had a, he had a legion. Now, depending on who you read after, uh, various writers have various amounts. Some say 2,000, sometimes 5,000. I, I don't argue with anybody. I'll tell you this. I know there was enough of them to enter 2,000 pigs later on. So we'll at least say there were 2,000 of them from the legion. Can you imagine one person being possessed with 2,000 demons? That should be the definition of a lost cause, you see. Now, I think it's far more common than we like to think about. I really do. I know that we're depraved naturally. I know I cannot blame my sin on the devil. When I was a kid, I'm dating myself. There used to be a show called Laughing. Remember that show? And Flip Wilson used to run around and say, The devil made you do it. Remember that? I can't say that. My sin is my own. So I know I'm depraved naturally. But folks, think about it. I cannot imagine people living the way that they live without at least demonic influence and demonic possession. I know this, every lost person opens himself up to that. 
Sure enough, when you knew Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 2 about the sinner in order to get killed on us, and you have to quickly who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, and according to the prince and the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Uh, and he said, and you were by nature children of wrath, even as others. That's the way we are. So, this man's problem was he was possessed. Notice, secondly, his pain. The Bible says that in, uh, the Bible says that who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no not with chains, because he'd often been bound with fetters and chains, and chains had been plucked asunder by him, and fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Now, two words jump out at me there, and that is tombs and chains. Number one, he lived in a graveyard. He lived in the tombs. They, back in that day, they didn't bury them as we do in our day. They would carve out in the mountainside in the stone, a tomb, and deposit the dead body there. That's where that man lived. Decaying corpses as his companions. And then it says he was bound with fetters and chains. You, you ever wonder what the difference between those was? Fetters, I am told, went around the, the ankles... The chains usually went around the torso. He was bound and he would break those things. Now, you take all that together, this boy, and you read more later on, he was in bad shape. And I don't think it's too much of a jump for me to say what he was naturally and physically is exactly what the lost sinner is spiritually. Amen. You say, well, I'm not that bad. I don't do those bad things. But you're only talking about degrees. You may, you may not stink as bad as him, but you're just as dead. And mankind, the way we try to fix it, we build all these institutions, jailhouses, prisons, hospitals, asylums, trying to psychiatrists, trying to psychologists, and all they're doing is trying to treat the symptoms. They're not getting down to the real issue. Mankind cannot fix man's problem. And then lastly, notice his powerlessness under this heading. Uh, the Bible says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stone. Now, now we don't know, we don't know why exactly he did all the things that he did. Uh, here he was, running around naked, Dirty, nasty scars and cuts all over his body, screaming night and day in that graveyard. We, we don't know why he cut on himself. Like maybe, maybe, maybe it was just some outward relief from his inward agony. I don't know. I've worked with cutters. I worked 26 years uh, with abusing incorrigible kids in West Virginia, and I never could figure out what they get out of that. It's just like a release of something. I don't know why. Maybe the demons made him do it. We don't know why he screamed out in anguish night and day. Again, maybe it was just a release for him. Or again, maybe the demons did it. I don't know why people want to live the way they live. And I, I, I know about depravity, but it, it just dri drives me crazy. Young girls living like harlots Young boys like animals, wasting their life on drink and drug, 
I had a, my oldest brother, if he, if he was alive now, he'd be 80, 82, uh, didn't have anything his whole life, drunk his life away, ended up putting a 32 pistol in his mouth. Uh, and I think, why, why, do, why do people want to live the way that they live? Doesn't make, it never made sense to me. Point is, pills, potions, psychologists, psychiatrists is not the answer. You need Jesus. That's it. So we have this maniac. Secondly, notice the miracle. I'm hurrying here. I just want to show you that Jesus does something here that nobody else can do. Notice, notice first his compassion. The Bible says in verse 6 that when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, by, by the way, you've got to remember, here's somebody, here's a fellow that parents would tell their children, you stay away from that graveyard. I don't want you up there with that naked maniac running around. I, I would have told my kids that. He's somebody we would go out of our way to avoid. How many of you see people sometimes that you just want to avoid? Stay away from. I understand that. Let me tell you something. My Savior not only did not avoid him, he went across the sea and braved a storm just to deliver him. He had compassion on him. This was a man, everybody looked at him, he's a lost cause. Now, let me just ask you, do you have anybody in your family? I do. That when you're sitting around talking with other family members and they come up, somebody invariably say, well, they're just too far gone. Or they're lost cause. We see an old drunkard, nothing worse than a sloppy drunk. Been around it all my life. My daddy was a moonshiner. My two oldest brothers were moonshiners. My uncle was a moonshiner. I tell everybody I was a fruit jar Baptist. <laughs> Nothing worse than a sloppy drunk. Seeing what it does. We may only see a drunk, but God may see a disciple. You see a heart? God may see a choir member. Or church member. You see, man, that's kind of stretching it. Let me tell you something. He, he took a hard cussing fisherman by the name of Peter, made him a fisherman. He took a murderer named Saul, made him a missionary, didn't he? Ain't nothing too far gone. Nobody too far gone. Nothing too hard for God. He had compassion. Let me tell you, some of you, I don't know you, uh, some of you may be considered a lost cause at one time yourself. Let me tell you something, you're here and you're saved because God had compassion on you. That's it. That's it. Notice his control also. He this this fellow this runs before him. And I gotta do some serious editing here. But he, he falls before and says, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Demons are got a lot more sense than most people sometimes. 
I adjure thee by God that thou torment not. And of course, Jesus tells him to come out of the man. And he asked us, what's your name? He said, my name's Legion, because we're many. And he allowed him to enter into a herd of swine. And the pigs run off the cliff into the sea and drown themselves. Somebody wrote, they committed suicide, he said. Point is, it was not through pills and potions. You know what worries me in our churches today? I understand there's people sometimes, chemical imbalances and things. I don't want to pretend to understand of all of that stuff, but I know this. The psychologists and the psychiatrists of this world have fleeced us way too long. They're doping up our kids. A lot of the kids I have, they diagnosed them with behavior disorder. And they dope them up. My daddy had an amazing cure for behavior disorder. He, he could fix behavior disorder. He was good at fixing attention, attention deficit disorder. Because he could get your attention pretty quick. We bought into the lie and the lure of doping up our kids. They don't need to dope, folks. What they need is Christ. They don't need a 12-step program, the psycho worldly psychologist, the worldly psychiatrist. What they need is Christ. That's it. Last thing. Notice, you read the rest of this, verses 14 through 20. The mission... They uh, tell us that when he got through with him. Now, I want you to notice that when Jesus got through with this man, number one, he changed him. I want to tell you, when, when you're saved, there is a change that comes over your life. If there's no change, there's no salvation. We fall, we falter, I've more than anybody in here. I man, the things I once loathed, I now love. The things I once loved, I now loathe. It's been a change. He changed him. The Bible says when they got back, the people that kept the pigs, when they got back and they saw this one possessed with the devil, you know what? He was sitting with Jesus. Changed him. He also clothed him. He said he was sitting and he was clothed. Do you know what? Now, I'm not going to go down this route, but I, I will tell you, say people were to put their clothes on, you'll not be running around half naked. But I will go this route. That's exactly what he's done for me in salvation. He has clothed me with his righteousness. Amen. He changed him, he clothed him, he calmed him. That mind that just a short time before was in such turmoil, he was screaming like a madman he's now sitting and he's clothed and in his right mind nothing like peace of heart peace of mind my wife can go sleep quicker than any human being I've ever seen in my life I laugh at her so her head hit the pillow and it ain't three minutes sometimes that she's already I won't say snoring breathing deeply she says because she got a clear conscience. I'll lay there and think for an hour or two before things running through my head. But I want to tell you it's nice to have peace of heart and peace of mind. 
last thing he commissioned him, he told him, you go back and you tell your friends, your family, what great things the Lord has done for you, how he's had compassion on you. If you're really saved, you've got a story to tell. Now, why ain't, why ain't you telling it? I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray. Through his loving arms around me, and drew me back to his way. Jesus does something that nobody else can do. Folks, there's no such thing as a lost cause. Best thing I can tell the sinner, listen, quit trying to be saved. You're, a lot of people do that. Quit trying to be saved and come to the one that can save you. Brother, I quit. Preached up the storm, didn't I? <laughs>